This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace. Start building your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code IRISHTIMES at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace, build it beautiful. Hello, uh, welcome to the latest Irish Times Book Club. Over the last month or so, we've been looking at Eggshells by Katrina Lally, um, published by Liberties Press. Katrina was a winner of the Irish Writer Centre Novel Fair and was recently shortlisted for the Sunday Independent Newcomer of the Year at the Irish Book Awards. With us this evening, uh, we have Mary O'Brien, who compiles the Simplex Crosswords for the Irish Times, uh, has been doing so for the past 20 years or so, and Dr Madeleine Lyons, uh, who's lectures in urban studies at the Clinton Institute in UCD and myself Martin Doyle the assistant literary editor of the Irish Times. Eggshells is the story of Vivian an endearing but eccentric Dubliner who roams her city looking for a portal to another world but in the meantime she observes the world that she is stuck in and its citizens in great detail. Katrina uh, would you like to start us off by reading a passage from the book please? Okay. Um, It's a passage which is just one of Vivian's more awkward exchanges with someone. A sudden shrill noise jolts me and sends me into my standing, but I don't know where to rush to. The screen on the house phone flashes. Someone is calling me. I pick up the receiver. This is Vivian speaking. Who is calling? Hi, I'm Peter. I wonder if you have a few minutes to answer some questions about your service provider. Peter sounds like someone who would have his lunch eaten at his desk by 10am. I'm very busy, Peter, but I can spare a couple of minutes. Great, thanks, he says. Firstly, what age bracket do you fall into? He lists chunks of numbers, and I picture my age in curly brackets, then straight brackets, then circle brackets, all of which look like the start and finish of something. I can't put my age in a bracket like that, I say. I'd be frozen in that age group on your survey forever. A silence falls on the other end, but it's more of a rise than a fall. It rises through the receiver and pinches my earlobes. Also, I say, what exactly do you mean by years? Sorry? Have you ever thought about a place where a year is not 365 days? No, he says. His sentences are shrinking. He can barely tap out the consonants. Have you ever thought, what if we all got together and decided that we wouldn't let May turn into June just yet, that we'd hold on to May for another couple of days? I can't say I have, he says. Or if we decided to double up on December and skip January altogether. January's a right sulk of a month. It has far too many days. Indeed, he says. Can you tell me what internet provider you're with? Can you give me a hint? Aircom, he says. Imagine, UPC, Magnet. UPC, I say. And what's your mobile provider? UPC. UPC isn't a mobile provider. Oh, Aircom? Okay. He asks lots of multiple choice questions with four answers about things I have never thought of, things I know nothing about, and I choose the third option for each one. Surely I will be right one quarter of the time. Right, he says. What do you use your phone for most? Sending messages to Penelope. Okay, anything else? Sending messages to my sister, but she rarely replies. There is a strange noise on the other end of the line, some ways between a gurgle and a choke. I fear this survey could go on until winter. Peter, I say, do you ever go to fancy dress parties? What? I was just wondering if I could come along sometime. I've never been to a fancy dress party, but if I did go, I'd dress up as a migraine. What do you dress up as? 
There's a silence, and Peter's voice, when it comes, is full of knots. Right, he says. I think we're done here. Thanks for your time. Wait, I say. You haven't told me your favourite costume. But he rattles through a paragraph about confidentiality and how this information will be used, and then he unplugs his voice and hangs up. I press the phone hard into my ear. I think I can hear the sea in the distance, in a crackle and hiss beyond the beep. Peter might not have invited me to a fancy dress party, but I have the sea in my ear and my words for the day spoken, and it's not yet midday. That's lovely. Thanks very much, Katrina. I love your detailed descriptions of Dublin, um, comparing the GPO with its railings and queues and grey-brown efficiency to an echoing Soviet building from a spy novel, or Basaurus to a merry-go-round with a corrugated wavy roof and circular glass walls, but with metal buses instead of wooden horses. I wonder what is your favourite part of the city? Um, And when you're writing eggshells, did you sort of take notes as you went along in the field, or did you just observe and then go home and reflect? Um, I took notes as I went. Like, I walked, the Bussaurus one I walked specifically to, and the GPO, to get those notes and to, you know, to write down the details of what I saw. Um, some of the places in the book would be places I'd love to go anyway, like the Natural History Museum, the Dead Zoo, and like even for myself, I would write those lists of moths and butterflies. So then I had Vivian do the same. Um, so I would have taken my notebook with me and written or taken photos as I was doing things. Um, and yeah, like the National Library on Kildare Street or parts of Trinity College. So places I'd go to anyway, places I love. Did you set out on your walks then with particular places in mind that you knew would feature in the book? and Or did you also maybe discover places that you'd never been to before that, you know, you knew that you could incorporate somehow? Well, both, I think. I, I started off with, like, I didn't start off to write a novel. I just started off with blued out street signs, wondering why, why there's letters missing. And then writing notes about them and kind of wondering, could I write an essay about how, like, all these street signs, how come some of the letters are missing? What's the reason for this? And then I had more fun imagining why in a fictional way rather than using nonfiction. So that started off. Then Vivian, the character, came to me because I was just kind of wandering a lot um, aimlessly that year. And then once I got the the idea for the book, I, I, I did find an old map like Vivian did and found these beautiful place names so that kind of sent me to certain directions, like um, Emerald Street, I think it is, and mm-hmm. Yellow Road and all these. So that they became very much focused kind of walks. Mm-hmm. Um, Thanks. Madeline, could I bring you in, um, given your background in urban studies? How did you, how did the, how did you find um, eggshells as a, a study or a way into exploring Dublin? Oh, I think it's probably one of my favourite bits actually or one of my favourite aspects of the book is what it does with Dublin Uh, probably over the last maybe even just the last five years or so um, there's been a change in attitude in Dublin where we sort of started openly thinking about Dublin as a city whereas we were sort of you know "Ah, it's a big town (laughs) really before that Um, and there have been the beginnings of interesting books tackling it, whereas I think even up to about five years ago, people were sort of saying, why are people not writing about cities in Ireland? Why did the Celtic Tiger era not not kind of create 
you know, great city books. Mm-hmm. Why are we still looking at bloody Ulysses, you know, for, for the quintessential city book? Um, and for me, one of the the sort of strange things that happen is that I think a lot of the time when people try and figure out cities, and I do it in nonfiction, people write about them as if you can imagine them sort of taking a deep breath and, you know, it's like oratory almost. You sort of feel you have to be bombastic about it to try and encapsulate this massive thing. And in this book, Dublin is both magic and, like, myth at the same time and, at the same time, entirely ordinary. So Mm -hmm. that list of places that she loves in Dublin or that she thinks could be magic portals, you know, Narnia cupboards... Like Dolphin's Barn is not a magical place (laughs) and we know that Mm -hmm. but strange Vivian thinking about those possibilities shows us the city in a different kind of light and maybe makes us look again or look more closely yeah exactly so I'm sort of interested in that idea of making things strange like that you see things by making them strange did you how did you do it like (laughs) the wandering walks that you're talking about is that how did you see this place that you grew up walking around through someone else's eyes and and sort of see it as a weird place or as a strange place? Um, I think it was just taking that weird part of me and just accentuating it a bit. Um, like, I would always wonder about names and, like, you didn't see from the book there I'm fascinated with lists. Like, I just love names of things. How did that come about? Like Dolphin's Barn, as you say, it's, it's just a gorgeous name. Um, I think it started off to, yeah, like I said, with, with fact, kind of with trying to figure out things in the city. And then Vivian just came to me and I ran with that, like that strange part of my brain and kind of just, I don't I don't actually know where she came from. Like, I feel I can't answer that perfectly satisfactorily <laughs> because... You feel the need to distance yourself a little bit yeah, from her. Yeah, definitely. I mean, some people, because it's first person, would read it as me thinking all these things. But no, there is an element of her in me, but it's just running with that slightly bonkers part of yourself. Mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. like, she obsesses over names and parts of Dublin, um, which was great fun to write, but also very intense like just mm-hmm. looking at everything and like those stone faces that are above lots of doors or under the bridges in the Liffey like I hadn't really noticed them before but now I can't stop seeing them they're mm-hmm. everywhere mm-hmm. and Vivian names them like everything kind of becomes animated to her and almost human mm-hmm. um, so it's, it's just once I got into her brain it was very easy to kind of run with that part of me it is striking that as well as this sort of fascination with the, the details of, of street uh, streetscapes and so forth, there is also this fascination with language and not just words, but also symbols like, you know, you describe in, in detail what, or sorry, Vivian describes in detail what um, the long division sign um, signifies to her. I wonder, Mary, if I could bring you in, um, I think, your fascination with the book perhaps originated with, you know, your own fascination with language? Yes, I have to say um, Vivian is very close to my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, her obsession with words um, and the sound of them, like Penelope and Antelope, um, the shapes, the spellings, like the symmetry of the palindromes, the Anna and Hannah. Um, that's very like my own, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love the lists and the variety, of course. Um, 
you obviously love words too. Mm-hmm. Um, where where did that love come from? Do you think were you good at English in school? Yeah, yeah. I thought I was good at English. I wasn't good at maths or visually. I wasn't very good, but yeah. I loved reading, basically, and I suppose like Alice in Wonderland was my favourite book as a child, and that's the absolute so it's quintessential right. book for playing with language, course, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and did, did was it a reading home? Yeah, definitely. Lots of books, library books, just right. constantly going right. to the library and renewing. I heard. Um, I believe your dad is a teacher. Yes. Yes, did, both my parents are teachers, oh, are retired. Yeah. And did we ever in their classes? No, no, thank no. God. <laughs> <laughs> no, they consciously kind of didn't teach in local schools where we were, um, right. which was good. Yeah, I don't think I'd have liked that. Um, do you read much now? And if so, what sort of books do you like? Yeah, um, at the moment I'm reading is it Danielle McLaughlin's The Stinging Fly book, The Dinosaurs Dinosaur. and Other Planets. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, I'm one of those people who has a load of books on the go at one time. Um I, it's one of those questions when you're asked, you completely blank. Yeah. <laughs> I'm reading Henry Miller on writing. He has a, okay. there's a collection of his writings on writing, which is fascinating. Um, did you study English at university? I did. At Trinity. I did, and Trinity, yeah. I started off studying speech therapy. Um, did that for two years and then dropped out mm-hmm. and worked for a year and then went back to study English. Mm-hmm. So. And was that a rewarding experience, studying in great detail books? Yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I I just didn't think in secondary school, I didn't, I loved English, but I didn't kind of quite cop that you could study it in college. I I thought you had to follow the career. So I put down something where, you know, you'd have the permanent pensionable job. And, mm-hmm. um, and then I happened to go out to visit a friend in UCD and sat in on one of his English lectures and was like, wow, this is what you do every day. And, mm-hmm. and just from that, I was the out. teacher particularly wonderful or was it just I uh, don't even remember the teacher <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember it was about Robinson Crusoe mm-hmm. and I didn't particularly like the book but I just thought wow imagine you know reading fiction mm-hmm. every day for a few years and writing about it that was so yeah it was soon after that I realised I'll just I'll drop out and start again mm-hmm. so I appreciated it I think studying because I was a little bit older going back to do it and really knew how lucky I was and people are fascinated, I think, when they hear that, you know, as a Trinity graduate, you're now back working in Trinity. Um, what do they call it as a cleaner? But what's the name of the department? Or uh, housekeeping, housekeeping department. department. Yeah. Um, how did that come about? Like, was that, um, it seems almost pointed or it, it could be a device in a novel itself? Um, <laughs> no, it's Is not. there some kind of fast track program or uh, <laughs> preferential <laughs> treatment for graduates? Uh, maybe preferential because I'd worked there before. When I was a, a student there, okay. I spent my summers working ah, okay. as a cleaner. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was kind of between jobs again at the start of this year. So I threw in a CV and got back in. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm delighted to be back in. And I, I'd kept up with some of the women I'd worked with. Um, oh, it's 10, 11 years ago now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's lovely to be back. It's just. Do you see it from a very different angle then, um, working there rather than studying there? Yeah, definitely. Um, just, I suppose there's all these little, I keep seeing it through Vivian's eyes too, all these like cubbies and like, you know, cleaners all have their cubby to put their buckets and stuff mm-hmm. in. But there's these secret little hidden doors all around Trinity and secret staircases like in libraries and the Provost House, like these beautiful old staircases. You go through a door, it's like, wow, I didn't know this existed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's lovely seeing that angle that you wouldn't, you wouldn't see as a student. We're just going to pause for a moment to tell you about our new sponsors, Squarespace. If you're looking to build a site that's professionally designed, regardless of your skill level and with no coding required, then Squarespace has intuitive and easy to use tools. 
Squarespace, which has its European operations and customer service office here in Dublin, has trusted technology that will power your site, giving it security and stability. To start your free trial site today and with no credit card required, go to squarespace.com using the code IRISHTIMES to get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace Build It Beautiful. I was just thinking, in more ways than one, I think you, you do identify with, with Vivian. <laughs> but um, do you think more people uh, could identify with her? Many of us? Maybe all of I us? I think most of us do have a part of us. that, Like, having friends who've read the book and colleagues, like, I'm amazed by how many people saying to me, wow, I, I just... I'm Vivian or texting me saying I've just had a Vivian moment and explaining some really awkward exchange. Um, I think, yes, some people don't. Like some people are very together and normal and can't identify. And that's fine, too. Like they're probably high achievers. (laughs) Yeah, the the, the people trying to discover where they belong. I think that's more common than a lot of us realise. And... Aren't we all odd in our own little special ways? Yeah, do you know. I think we all hide it. Better we do. Than Vivian. We do. Yeah. Some, but that's that. That point about together people. I think they just hide it better. Yeah, maybe. Um, can I can I just talk for a minute about the imagery? Um, some beautiful imagery. Um, I loved where the postman moving in and out, the houses like a needle stitching, a hem, or uh, the assistant who had a voice that could knit a teddy bear. Isn't that lovely? Um, when you know, when, when do, do those images come to you? Is it while you're writing or when you're observing something or listening to something? While I'm observing. Really? Think, yeah. Really? Um, like the postman came to me, I remember when, like the year I was unemployed, when I was researching Vivian's story and I just happened to be looking out the window mm. one day at the postman and I probably did this a bit, just kind of looking for <laughs> the postman and mm. seeing him weaving in and out and it just would come to me then. So... And when something comes to you, just write on a scrap of paper. You don't always have your notebook or your laptop to hand. But no, like stuff wouldn't really come to me as I'm writing. That the actual writing was putting together the notes that had been handwritten. I actually lived with Katrina for a while, <laughs> so <laughs> full disclosure, we're world friends as well. And I can remember her at some point deciding she would clean out her her scraps of notes and just having box apart because she collects boxes as well <laughs> boxes of these <laughs> tiny scraps of paper with things scribbled all over them so she's sort of like yeah has been collecting these odd things for years and years and years mm. and I think they probably were part of the beginning of the book in some ways right they probably were I didn't know it at the time but yeah a lot of that would have made its way into so I'm, I'm part of it. I yeah. Okay. <laughs> and did everything make its way in, or like you know, I mean, did you have this, like this kind of collage that you know everything you wanted to use everything, or? Yeah, I think initially everything made its way in, and mm-hmm. it, I think a lot of people do that when they're writing their first novel. Like it's everything but the kitchen sink. You just throw in whatever's going on in your life at the time, whatever you're thinking about, and because it's a first novel, it's all your notes. Mm-hmm. So I did cut out a lot of it because some of it just didn't fit. It was kind of shoehorning in mm-hmm. random things just because I like the sound of them. And did it take your editor to kind of point that out to you, or did you know in your own heart that? I kind of knew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I wrote I wrote I did five rewrites, so there's six drafts of the novel before I. Uh, submitted to the novel fair so mm-hmm. yeah I kind of I did the kill your darlings thing that Hemingway or whoever mm-hmm. said that yeah uh, how do you write do you write directly onto a computer directly onto a computer it's just I'm faster that way yeah it's it's um I'm too slow 
handwriting. So I, I love the idea of sitting in a cafe with a notebook and a lovely mm, fountain indeed. pen, yeah, but yeah. yeah, it doesn't work for me. Yeah, that, that's for your scraps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, could I just ask about the present tense? You've used it in the book. Was that a conscious decision? Did you decide or did it just happen? I think it was conscious. I started off as past tense um, and it didn't work as well for me. It didn't seem as immediate because I was almost writing as I was walking. It didn't. F- I needed the present tense to feel more immediate. So, yeah, like the present tense and then the first person really worked for me for just to get so wrapped up into Vivian's world and to get caught up in it. Are you doing it for the next book? Yeah. Oh, okay. mm, I've just grown to like it, yeah. Mm. And some people really object to it. I know it's a, it's a divisive no, thing. No, I, I normally don't like it, but it right. worked fabulously in this one. You mentioned the second book. Um, I'd love to know something about it. Can you talk about it, or was that bad karma? Uh, <laughs> a little bit. Um, it's a brother and a sister. So it's a dual narration, which I like, because Vivian was pretty intense mm. on her own. Um, it's set in Hamburg because just I needed to get away from Dublin. I've written about Dublin for now. It's Dublin's done. And it's just the dynamic between them. He lives over there. The sister's going over to visit and just why he's there and what's going on between them. So they are Irish? They are Irish, yeah. It'd be too big a leap for me to try and write another nationality, I think, mm-hmm. just yet. And, and when, when do you have a deadline? When can we expect it? I've no deadline, okay. no. So I'm <laughs> now Ger, my agent, is putting pressure, which is good, but no deadline. Mary's putting pressure now as well. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people would be putting pressure on you. People, there's so many people enjoyed that book. Um, I was looking for my copy today and I realised that I, I'd, I'd given it away. Huh. So... Um, I was going to ask about the title. Mm. Do you, is there significance in the title? Mm. Or was it your choice? Yeah, the, the title was my choice, but it was a very last-minute choice. I wrote the book without a title. Like, I'm just... I'm not... Unlike Vivian, I'm not great on names. I didn't... I just had saved it. It came up, you know, in the taskbar of my computer as Untitled 2 because it was right. the second document yes. open and I had just saved it as Untitled 2. So that was kind of the working title. And then I submitted to the novel fair in the Irish Writer Centre and it was the morning of the deadline. I printed out the form and realised, oh no, I've no title. <laughs> what do I do here? So I flicked through what I had and Eggshells just was relevant. Um, I thought to her, she's quite brittle walking on eggshells and then the eggshells changeling thing comes up later on in the book. So I googled it and saw there was no eggshells book, so I just stuck it down. But when Brendan from the Writer Centre rang to tell me I'd won a place at the fair, and the first thing I said to him was, can I change the title? Because <laughs> it was such a last-minute thing. And he said, well, just keep it now, you know, for now, for the moment and see what happens. But then, like, the agent loved the title and the publisher loved the title, so I just kind of... It, it stuck, <laughs> basically. What would you like to have changed it to if you'd been let... Um, my idea was Tusk it is which is completely random and <laughs> I know I can see a few perplexed faces here um, it kind of makes sense by the end of the book but I do realise it's not the easiest title to sell or, <laughs> or explain so I just wanted to go with the Vivian kind of confusing I, I thought um, Eggshells was a terrific title because I think there's a very good clue in that little episode um, about Vivian's past, right? Yeah, which we have we know so little about. 
and I thought, oh, that was clever to, to, to actually call it that, because it sort of drew attention to it. So I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm happy now with it. It's grand. <laughs> what about the, the backstory to Vivian, which um, there are dark hints or whatever that, you know, something bad had happened to her in her past by her parents? Um, what, in an earlier draft, was there more detail of that or was it always a deliberate thing to keep the focus on the present and not... Um, give too much away about what had happened before. Yeah, it was a deliberate thing to keep the past out of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I just didn't want to go into it. I wanted her to have something traumatic happen in the past. And what happened is quite relevant to her beliefs now that she's a changeling. But I didn't want to go into misery and trauma and then kind of weeping and discussing and sharing things. I just... It's just personal taste. That mm-hmm. turns me off when I read too much explanation and backstory. Um, I think like it is hinted at fairly strongly what happened, but I just I couldn't be doing with a therapy kind of mm-hmm. novel of yeah. I think I think it worked. Mm-hmm. It worked very well because she's a very lovable character. And you really don't want to hear about the nasty things that might have happened to her. No, and, and also she represses like to me that's the point of Vivian, like she's she represses everything that has gone on. Like sometimes it does slip through. She says a sentence or two, and you realise what's gone on. Mm-hmm. But she just she just represses that she keeps on going. Mm. She's tenacious. She doesn't kind of allow herself to wallow in the past. Mm. Now it's probably not the most psychologically helpful way to go about mm. life, but I just like that about her. It's just I'm refusing to engage and just keep motoring on. There's also quite a lot of social commentary in the book. Was that um, something that you set out to do, to perhaps do a critique of the Celtic tiger? Like one of the strong scenes is the when she visits her sister and the sister's very proud of her invisible kitchen where <laughs> nothing is on display, which is quite a good symbol to me of the kind of shallowness of consumerism or whatever. Um, was that a driving force behind some of your writing Um, no it wasn't deliberate anyway I just I wanted the sister to be completely contrasted with Vivian so Mm. Vivian's a bit of a thinker the sister is completely shallow it was all about opinions people's opinions of her and trying to impress people with her clothes or her kitchen or whatever and her coy yes (laughs) you're sort of ready for I think hearing from someone for whom the Celtic Tiger era was strange, though, I think. Because we're all sort of thinking it's, it was a bit strange now, you know? <laughs> like, what were we, what were we doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that's sort of common enough feeling, actually. And so to have someone like Vivian who thinks everything is strange mm-hmm. uh, coming at what we are sort of used to thinking of as normal or desirable, like a fancy kitchen, uh, it's sort of... I don't know, yeah, I think it was just perfect timing in some ways. And you missed the Celtic Tiger in Ireland as well, right? Yeah, completely, yeah. It bypassed me. Um, yeah, I was, thinking, I was a student for some of it, and then I went travelling. And then when I came back, it was just in full swing. And I just, I suppose, like, it wasn't a deliberate thing, like you asked Martin, but it, it was in there in my head, this kind of feeling of, gosh, I don't fit in. I really don't fit in. And I remember coming back from travelling around Asia for a couple of years and 
coming back and just seeing people walking around really quickly clutching these coffee cups and that had happened in my absence and I was like how are they walking so fast where are they going <laughs> what is this and then people were talking into headsets which was a kind of a new thing it was at that stage I didn't even have a mobile phone so I felt <laughs> completely out of this loop um, and then I got a low paid job which I loved the job but I was not one of these kind of people who were making it and raking it in. So, so yeah, I think Vivian would come from that, that feeling of being a misfit and just not belonging in this society. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's been a lot of praise heaped on you by academics, fellow writers um, during uh, this series. Um, two questions. Um, is it hard to kind of keep your feet on the ground when you hear all that kind of stuff? And have you learnt things about the book that perhaps you mightn't even have realised yourself when writing it? Um, in terms of keeping my feet on the ground, no, it's it's not hard at all. I have a family who keep me very mm-hmm. grounded. They wouldn't let me get too big for my boots. But I think, too, you can decide not to take reviews or praise or nominations too seriously. Like, if you're going to get really depressed, if you don't get nominated for something, then you can't get too high if you do get nominated so you have to keep things at a certain distance I think mm-hmm. um, yeah. in terms of learning about stuff yeah like the, the angles people have come at eggshells has been fascinating um, it was Amanda Peace from Trinity wrote about the escutcheons that mm. Vivian saw she just saw this word in a museum but decorated with escutcheons and she wanted this on her gravestone and that was she just took a fascinating angle on it mm-hmm. about yeah so there's been a few and Declan Kyward making the connection with James Stevens did that I just read that yesterday mm-hmm. well I've never read James Stevens <laughs> so <laughs> I can't really comment but I'm going to read him now mm-hmm. yeah um, I actually I was um, uh, thinking there I, I spoke to a writer once um, and uh Another another famous writer had said, remarked about some you know the influence of a of you know his no somebody's a reviewer said the influence of another writer or his work on and then she said to me I'd never even read the person, mm. so it can get a bit academic. Yeah, yeah. I mean there were echoes of other novels, without yeah. a doubt. Like you know, and having done an English degree, they're bound to have been because you would have absorbed them. Exactly. You know, the, the, the Ulysses connection. Um, there is, a, the, well, you know, modern ones, the curious incident of the dog in the night. Mm. Do you know, the sort yeah. of... Um, and the Ulysses thing was interesting because I'd managed, I think, consciously avoided Ulysses all through college. I just Did found, you? Yeah, I found yeah. it a bit too daunting. But I read it this year after writing the book and, yeah, was delighted I hadn't read it before the book because... Like it's a similar kind of area, obviously. It's someone mm. walking the city, but completely different in other mm. ways to eggshells. More the people, but I think mm. um, us Dubliners, um, we we kind of have absorbed Ulysses even if yeah. we've never read it. Exactly, you know the basic the story. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, one last question from me: Have you ever got to the bottom of who it is that's blueing out all these signs, or <laughs> how it's happening? <laughs> No, I Or actually blue, or they may be blue underneath and it's just the white is being washed That's off it. by the weather. Yeah, like I had, I saw one at eye level the other day and it was just the white was being pulled away. It was like the white was a sticker almost on it. Uh, and be, Yeah, which is a bit uh, upsetting. <laughs> There's no Smurfs yeah. involved. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hope I haven't spoiled it all for everybody now. <laughs> 
Um, okay, well, listen, thank you very much, um, Katrina, for taking part. Thank you, Mary. Thank you, Madeline. Um, I hope mm. you've all enjoyed uh, reading the book. Um, you've been listening to the Irish Times Book Club, and I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. And if you haven't read some of the articles, um, perhaps you go back and have a read. Mm.